But it's good to hear the sound of little ones, of young life. We are a, a pro-family congregation, so the noise of wiggles and squeaks and everything else that senior adults tend to make, that is a wonderful thing. We welcome you here. I know. Thank you. Uh, somebody got that one, which was good. That's important. Well, if you have looked at your bulletin since you have come back in these last few weeks, you'll notice the arrangement of our service looks a little different aesthetically. It's the same idea. God, man, Christ response, how we orient these things. This is the heart of the gospel message. And in this text this morning that, that Jonathan, a faithful elder, has read for us, it's in the same unit of John 8 where Jesus said he's the light, in John chapter 9, the interaction with the blind man, and now in John chapter 10, uh, the Pharisees were close enough to hear how the man and see how the man responded. God, man, Christ response. Now, amazingly, in John chapter 9, it begins with the blind man being the only one who cannot see physically. But at the ending, and as we see this text this morning, the blind man is the only one that can actually see. He's the only one that can actually see. He responds to Jesus by worship, whereas the multitude of the Pharisees, many respond by accusing Jesus of having a demon. Others respond uh, by ultimately uh, being unsure. There's something more to him, but they haven't responded yet in the proper way, which is worship and belief in Christ. That's the good news that we have this morning. As we look to this text and this season, the Spirit shows us very clearly that Jesus is the great eye test. He is the hearing test. He is the one that shows and reflects for us if we can actually see. Not simply if we have astigmatism, but if we're actually blind or have eyes that can see. So Jesus is this great test for us, and, and in this, we shouldn't overthink it. We should look to Christ. So after we do this in the first few verses, we're going to note secondly that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. So as sheep, we ought to draw near to him. The safer the sheep, the wiser the sheep, the loving the more loving the sheep is, it's a reflection of the nearness that they have to their and the good shepherd. So church family, look with me, if you would, as we observe first that Jesus is the eye test revealing if one has eyes that can see. Now normally I would just leave it at that statement, but what I wanted to do is put a tag on it, a follow-up sentence that is an immediate point of counsel. Because when I say Jesus is the eye test revealing if one has eyes that can see, many of you reflexively, myself included, would say, well, how am I doing? What's my eye test show? How's that, how, does, how do my numbers look? Am I looking to Jesus correctly? Which is good. It's good to have a time of self-reflection. Scriptures tell us to examine ourselves. And as a congregation, to examine ourselves. But what we ought not to do is to overthink it. Because the big movement of this text is... To look to Jesus. And in looking to Jesus, it's revealed if we actually are seeing or not. So don't overthink it. Look to Jesus. This saying, eyes that can see and ears that can hear, is all through Scripture. It's used again and 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 again as a reflection of judgment. In the Old Testament, it's, it's largely used against Israel, actually, the people of God. It's a reflection that they were once seeing or once hearing, but as time has gone by, they've hardened their hearts. Their ears have begun to weaken. Their eyes have begun to strain, and it's reflected itself in the way they lived. They've begun to keep idols. Their 
eyes are less seeing. And this is a judgment against the people of God in Isaiah chapter 6, and Ezekiel 12, and Ezekiel 34, and Ezekiel 36, and all through the Psalms. Consistently, it's used as a judgment and a warning against the people of God. In the New Testament, we see it being used in a similar way toward the Pharisees. But they, they ought to be in a position of seeing and overseeing. But in the hardness of their heart and their pride, they have become blind. And how do we know they're blind? Because when they look to Jesus, they don't respond in worship as the people of God, the flock of God ought to. Rather, they respond by assaulting him or slandering him. That's how they respond. Jesus is the great revealer, the great eye test. And all through the rest of Scripture, this is used again and again, all the way till we get to even Revelation. The last chapter of the book of Acts, Paul uses this. He quotes this Isaiah 6 text. As he's in Rome, he's been gathered, and, and God has led him here into Rome as a prisoner, and he calls for the leaders of the Jewish church, and they gather together. The leader of the Jews gather, and what do they do? Paul quotes this text from Isaiah 6, this ears that can hear. And he uses this as a statement that shows that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the shepherd for Gentiles that the Lord will bring in among the flock of God and for Israel, for the Jewish people. Jesus is the hope. He is the true shepherd. He is the source of peace and justice and life. That's the good news. That's good news. So we look to Jesus, and it's revealed if we can indeed see. And that's what Jesus says very clearly. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. Now, the impact of the shepherd among sheep. The bullards do not have any sheep. We don't have any sheep. But we do have some chickens. That's a recent development in our house. And for our chickens, Sarah is, they're very much her chickens. She's the chicken farmer. So her voice, they gather around her. It's pretty amazing. They love her. They associate her with food, which does not hurt. I also associate her with food that does not hurt either. It's great for our marriage. But they love her. I mean, they, she has a warm voice for them. They, they come running toward her. My voice does not work in the same way. They're terrified of me. I'm the guy that mows and weed eats around them. They scatter with me. My voice has no power over them. My voice only scatters. But her voice warms and gathers and that's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. The once blind, now seeing man, his voice has authority over him, not the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are as hired hands. They've abused the sheep, neglected the sheep, not fed the sheep, the word of God. And therefore, their voice, even though they physically could throw him out of the synagogue, they have no authority over him. Jesus' voice, the voice of God, has authority over his sheep. That's who he responds to now. And we, as the people of God, those who have come to God through Christ, his voice is what warms us, gives us wisdom, gives us insight, gives us hope, gives us instruction, gives us comfort, gives us guidance, gives us purpose, gives us peace. His way is, is the foundation, is our way. So we look to Jesus, and this is our calling for all the world, to, to gather, to stop, and to look to Jesus. And ask Jesus to give us wisdom to serve and to love others. To pour us out for His glory and His purpose 
Jesus is the eye test. And that's what Jesus says right here in this text. They will hear and listen to my voice. Don't overthink it. Look to Jesus. And that's what we ask the Lord to do for us this morning. Before we look to Him as the Good Shepherd, we, we pray with our eyes open. Lord, would You give us ears to hear? Would You give us eyes to see? Would You soften our hearts from becoming proud and, and thinking we have everything figured out and stood on our own feet? Would You give us sensitive, soft hearts? We each know how quickly we can become hardened against the things of God. All of us know this. So to ever pray to God, God, give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Thank you, Good Shepherd. So as we look to the Good Shepherd now, as we go on to verses 7 through 18, we note that Jesus is the Good Shepherd, and what does He do? He cares for His sheep. He cares for His sheep. Jesus is in contrast to the Pharisees, who were like hired hands. So you, you, you could play a game in this text, or compare contrast, not really a game, you could compare them. What's the good shepherd do? What do the hired hands do? Well, they, they, they take advantage of the sheep. Well, this, this good shepherd, he tends to the needs of the sheep. And this is what Ezekiel 34, we talked about on the midweek podcast a little bit. This is, that text is really front and center in Jesus' interaction here. But what Jesus does is, is we're reminded that to not be anxious, but to draw near and rest upon Jesus. Now, if you took Jesus out of the equation and somebody was anxious and, you, and they came to you for counsel, and in your counsel you said to them, listen, I've been thinking about it and here's what you should do. You should not be anxious. Goodbye, I'll see you later. Right? Would that be great counsel? Tom, would that be great counsel? That would probably not be a great counselor. But Scripture doesn't just say don't be anxious. We go to the Lord, right? There's an active attentive. There's more to it than that. But what we as believers, it's a flock of God do, we actively draw near to our shepherd. In the Bible and in this text, Jesus does not minimize the reality of threats. Threats are around. They abound. He doesn't deny the reality of threats, but what he does is he fixes attention to the shepherd. He Tells them who the shepherd is. He reminds them of the attributes of the shepherd. Like a parent crossing a street. We don't tell kids, you know, you can go in the street and you'll, you'll probably be fine. Don't worry about it. That would not be good parenting. And I know there's kids among us, so kids, don't do that. But what does a parent do when they come to a street? They're honest with their kids, aren't they? There are dangers here. The dangers are close and the dangers are constant. Look both ways. And do what? Take my hand. And then you're guided across the road. You remember when you were a child, probably that same idea of take their hand. That's what the Good Shepherd tells us here. He doesn't minimize the reality of dangers. Matter of fact, he acknowledges them very clearly. They come in the form of these Pharisees who were not good teachers, not faithful teachers. They abused. They got fat on the sheep, it says. They neglected the sheep. The sheep are scattered by predators. And Jesus is contrasted to this. So he tells them in verse 7 through 10 that threats are close, but our qualified shepherd is closer. So listen to his life-giving voice. Threats are close. But our qualified shepherd is closer. 
Our peace in anxious seasons comes not from downplaying threats or the schemes of the devil and those that do his bidding, but rather it comes from a steadiness and a closeness in the hand of God, a peace in the midst of chaos. Because we hear the voice of God, we're close to the voice of God, or as Stephen said, the majority of psalms are psalms of lament, the 150. Most of them, the majority of them in the different categories we're not too hard on the category rule. Most of the psalms are psalms of lament, which means in chaos, as you seek the Lord, if your heart is not calm to peace, we cry out to God for peace, for His presence, for nearness in His hand. That's what the Good Shepherd does. He doesn't deny the reality of the lion. Did you see that? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. As a matter of fact, look over to 1 Peter 5 with me. Flip in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll give you a moment to flip there. Satan in 1 Peter chapter 5, the devil is presented as a one who prowls like a roaring lion seeking to whom he can devour, to scatter, to pick them off. What ought the flock of God to do then? It's to draw near to the shepherd. Make no mistake, the evil one would no, love nothing more than to flee the care of overseers, to scatter. It's in times like these that the fellowship of the local church are sown most important. It's exposed. Those who are netted and connected and draw near to the Word of God and prioritize the local fellowship of the local body, they are most in this way protected and able to give care for other sheep that they're connected to. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, we see this contrast. We have a choice before us in anxious times. We will either scatter because of one who prowls around like a roaring lion, or, Revelation 5, we will look to the great lion of the tribe of Judah. The true lion... We'll take peace and comfort who protects us, or we'll be overwhelmed and scattered by the one who roars and prowls like a roaring lion. And the Pharisees, in this case, do his bidding by scattering the flock. So 1 Peter chapter 5, as you flipped over there, so in verse 1, he exhorts the elders among them, and then you look down a, a few verses, and he encourages the congregation Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, which would apply perhaps to age, but certainly to spiritual maturity as well. That's a combination there. Look down to verse 6 then, for everybody that's in the flock of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him. Don't just get rid of Him, you cast them actively on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. He cares for you. How should we live then? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What should we do? Resist him. How do we resist him? Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, a little while. We might say, well, it seems like a long while in some settings. Well, what's the comparison for earthly sufferings, beloved? 
all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. All suffering, though not minimized, in light of eternity is but a little while. Oh God, would you give us that perspective? Eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore. Listen to these. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's the truth. I affirm that. Amen. You affirm this? Amen. Amen. It's truth. So what ought the flock of God do in times of chaos or darkness and division? We ought to listen closely to the voice of our shepherd. And we listen to the voice of our shepherd and he ministers to us and draws us close and he gathers us. He gives us peace and comfort and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. As we serve and love one another, as as Galatians 5 makes clear. And if we do not draw near to the voice of shepherd, this is what he tells them in the church. In Galatians 5, he warns them, you will bite and devour one another. You'll devour, we'll, we'll divide, we'll be like the world. So in times of chaos, we listen to the voice of God. We listen to the Spirit. We abide in His Word. What a word of insight in a culture, in a situation like what we find our, our world in today. The divisions are everywhere. Everywhere right now, aren't they? Everything must be a blue issue or a red issue, right? Masks or no masks. Everything is inflamed and heightened and intense. And the church of God will be tempted to scatter and devour and nip one another. If they're not listening to the voice of God, the Word of God who calls us to serve one another in love. The one who poses as a roaring lion, he roams. But the true lion of the tribe of Judah, he is better. He is greater. If we don't listen to the lion of the tribe of Judah, we will find ourselves resembling and reflecting the world rather than the voice of our Good Shepherd who loves us, who cares for us. So listen for His life-giving voice. In a season right now with racial tensions incredibly high, the murder of George Floyd and the tensions and the riots and all the things that are taking place in our culture, everything heightened, has there ever been a time or a more pointed text than for the people of God to remember to draw near to the voice of the Good Shepherd? who loves them and cares for them and deploys them with His good news. Is God good? Amen. Is your shepherd good, church family? Amen. His Word is good. Yes, threats are close, and He tells us as well in verse 11 through 18, we see that threats are also constant. Threats are close, and threats are constant. But... Our relational shepherd, he is sufficient. So what should we do? We said earlier that we should listen to his voice, but we should also look. Remember, we prayed, God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. So God, help us to hear your word. That's what we're doing this morning. We're gathering to sit under the word of God together. But give us eyes to see. Help us to see, good shepherd, what you've done. And what has the good shepherd done, church family, for you? What has this good shepherd done for us? The people of all nations, tribes, and tongues? 
What has He done for us? Well, He willingly laid down His life for His sheep. Verse 11 through 15. He willingly laid down His life for His sheep. And in this way, He secured salvation. That's what the Good Shepherd has done. The hired hands, the Pharisees in this context, they were not willing to lay down their life for the sheep. Matter of fact, every time, whether it was Nicodemus, a portion of the Pharisees, the temple guards who were beheld by Jesus and, and, and just amazed at Him, whether it was this man who committed himself to Christ, every time they silenced them and scattered them. But what does the Good Shepherd do? He lays down his life for his sheep. Like David. Like David. And let me read for us 1 Samuel 17. Listen to this. Just listen to this. David like Jesus, or Jesus like David. David, in this scene, he's standing before Goliath. And they're getting the pep talk. He's interacting with Saul. And listen to the description of David. And you can't help but think of Jesus in this scene as the good shepherd. One who will be like David, who will rule from his throne for eternity. Listen to this. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David, but David, said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. What does Jesus do? He keeps sheep for the father. All that the father has given him, he will lose how many, church? How many sheep will the father lose that the or will the son lose that the father has given him? How many? None. David says to Goliath, Don't worry. I was a shepherd. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Come on now, right? And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine, this Goliath, he shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the, the paw of the lion and, the, and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Jesus came not to be delivered from death. Jesus came to take the sting of death. But Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? He defeated death. He took his life up again. That's your shepherd. He came knowing that he would lay down his life all to this point. I should probably keep track at this point. But you can look through your own Bibles and do your homework. Not right now. Do it later. But how many times have people in John gathered hearing Jesus' words and they've been moved to try to kill him? We just came off one of them, I know. There's got to be four or five times at this point. The Pharisees or the crowd has been moved to take up stones and try to murder him. And every time, what happens? Jesus easily gets away. Why? Because nobody will take the life of Jesus, the eternal Son in the flesh, fully God, fully man. He came to lay his life down at the proper time. That's why the Scripture, every one of those, says the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. 
unlike David being delivered from the mouth of the lion, Jesus would willingly come as a lamb, bringing salvation for the world. That's good news. That's your shepherd. Look at what he's done. He's secured salvation for his flock. And finally, he obediently saved his sheep, and he will shepherd them forever. We look at what Jesus has done. He obediently saved his sheep, and he will shepherd them forever. Jesus' sacrifice was so great, so great to redeem his people for his own possession, that he has redeemed and redeems Israel. But he also tells them, I have sheep that are not of this fold. The blessing of Abraham overflows onto them. And there's Gentiles that come to faith in Christ from the very first century all the way till today. And I'm one of them. And we come to faith in Christ. All the nations coming to faith in Christ. And a day will come yet future when the fullness are brought in in which a great salvation will come to Israel. One shepherd, Jesus Christ. One shepherd. That's who Jesus is. And we will be with Him for how long? For eternity. The sheep of God will be with our shepherd forever. And what's the great picture we get of the scene of eternity? He will wipe away every tear from our eye. What an image. And we will be with Him forever. In the hands of our good shepherd. Is that good news, church family? Is that news our world needs? The good shepherd is the only one. No elder, no pastor, no leader, no teacher, no politician, no family member has ever secured salvation for you and me. Only Jesus. Only our good shepherd who laid his life down and took it up again. That's good news. This is the gospel message. God, man, Christ, response or leads us into our next steps we pray god would you make us wise 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 sheep and would you make us loving sheep the reality is some of you may not know christ you may have you may think of god man christ and you have never responded to him by belief and worship and we call you to turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in jesus christ trust him as your king, your shepherd, your savior. For the many of us who have, though, we, we pray, God, would you make us wise sheep? What's it mean to be a wise sheep? It means this. We focus upon our shepherd's voice. That's what we do. That's what we gather together on Sunday mornings. Lord, speak to us. Spirit, convict us. Show me sin in my life. Mend my relationships to you. Give wisdom and give me instruction. Make me wise to your ways, O oh Lord. And so schedule time this week, like a, like a meeting. Put it into a, a calendar, and you don't even have to Zoom the Lord. Right? This is a good news. You can just talk to Him and sit time under His Word. Pick up His Word and just start reading and listening to the voice of the Lord. Now mark up our Bibles and talk to Him about it. So God, make us wise sheep, but also God, make us loving sheep. What do loving sheep do? Yes, shepherds are oversee. All shepherds in this way are under shepherds of the chief shepherd who will come. But what are we to do? We're to lovingly, as the Spirit of God puts other sheep on our hearts and our minds, 
to reach out to them, to in love, not in judgment, but in love to say, hey, come closer to the voice of the shepherd. And do you know who the Lord uses oftentimes to bring other sheep closer to the voice of the shepherd that have distanced themselves? Guess who he uses? He uses the people of God. His Spirit puts people on your heart at the right time to pray for them and intercede for them, to intercede for our land and for others, and then to pursue them, to call them to listen to the voice, to look to the shepherd. So in this time as well in our service, what a perfect day and a perfect text, a perfect season, that God would, these two men, I'll ask them to come forward, two men that after six months of training and equipping and orientation and feedback from you, which has been 100% uh, unanimous positive feedback, affirming feedback, for Ralph Busby and Jerry Baker, men who uh, God has brought to this point of serving a tour as elders of our congregation for the next, Lord willing, three years. And I've asked them to come and sing a duet. That's not true at all. That's not it. That's not, that's not what I asked them to do. But what we did ask them to do is, is to share a, a word of responsibility uh, before them. You, as, as the flock of God that God is, we believe, as an elder council, and you as affirming this, God is placed for this season of oversight in our body. And so I've asked them to prepare a word just on what the charge is before them. So. It would be tempting if you'd join us in a trio. Oh, <laughs> we just don't have enough time on our service to do that. This fall, Grace Bible Church will celebrate 80 years of existence. 50 years ago, Thea and I arrived in Nacogdoches in August, and we have uh, attended Grace Bible Church ever since. And during that time, we have seen hundreds and hundreds of people, and uh, many, many, many of them have ministered to us, helped us, loved us, encouraged us, shared with us, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful process in our life. And we are so grateful for the staff that we have, the elders that we have, and we're looking forward to being part of that. Thank you, Ralph. Jerry? As I was thinking about what to say today, I just reflecting on especially the elders who are rolling off um, and just the challenges they face, particularly in these last few months. Um, and I don't think any of them could have even imagined uh, facing these kind of challenges. And, um, and I just count myself humbled to be named here as an elder. Um, and I, I just ask that as we go forward that you would just pray for us because inevitably there's going to be other challenges that we're going to be facing. Um, probably something similar to this, maybe something quite different that we can't anticipate. So uh, we just ask that Ralph and I step on board uh, for this, uh, you know, these next three years that uh, you would just lift us up as we seek to serve you as elders. Very good. Now that said, I'd ask our present pastors and, and men who have served Grace Bible as elders, uh, present and in the past, would you uh, come forward at the foot of the stage? And I want to read for us at, at the beginning part of 1 Peter chapter 5. I began us really in verse 6. I want to read the charge that is to you men. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And as a church family, they're calling for us. I would ask you to stand, if you would. And what we're going to do in a moment is I'm asking Jonathan if he would pray for uh, these men as we set them apart to this time of service. And one of the things that believers that we do is we lay hands on, or in this context, we reach our hands out toward these men, believing that the Spirit of God has led them to this particular season and time of particular service of oversight. And so we ask God to protect them, to watch over them. Uh, and we believe that the Spirit of God has led us to this point. And so as an outward sign of recognition of this, we would you raise your hand toward these men as Jonathan, you lead in prayer. Father God, I want to thank you for uh, the privilege it is to, um, to serve uh, people. I pray that you would give us wisdom as elders. I pray that you would bless Ralph and Data and that you would bless Sylvia and Jerry and that you would walk with them and... Um, Lord, we bind the works of the enemy in, in the name of Jesus, and we, we pray against what the enemy tries to cause and dissensions and temptations, and, and we pray that you would help us to be uh, a humble people and, and to learn to walk uh, in the ways of Christ. Help us to keep our eyes fixed upon him, and we pray that this next season would be joyful and, and would be full of grace, and that, Lord, that your kingdom would grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Very good. Well, you can be seated as we observe the Lord's Supper together. Thank you, men, and church family. Well, we counted a privilege as one of the gifts that God gives us to observe the Lord's Supper. And if you did not get uh, grab the elements on your way in, if you're a confessing believer in good standing with the local body, Cynthia is here uh, to serve you. And... Uh, She'll serve you. She won't throw it at you, I promise. It'll be there for you to, to pick off the platter. But one of the gifts that God gives us is beautifully demonstrated in this time of Lord's Supper. So it's an unbelievable privilege as you think about what we're doing right now to be able to look around and to say we have one shepherd. One shepherd. What a light in contrast this time is in a world of division and segmentation on every way possible. We have one shepherd. The blood of our shepherd was shed for us, a new covenant we have received by faith in Jesus Christ. His blood shed for us. My sin, your sin. Look around for a moment. You are family in Christ. We're made as one flock, dependent upon the shepherd, who his body broke in, his blood spilled for us. None of us come to this table demanding. We come to this table as gracious and humbled recipients of what Christ has done for us. And our shepherd died for us, but he didn't stay dead, did he, church? He took it up again. He raised bodily from the grave, ministered, and ascended. And he's at the right hand of 
the Father, Jesus, the eternal God-man now. And bodily, He will again come one day soon. And until then, we who have the Spirit, we partake of this meal together at the table of Christ, humbly, joyfully proclaiming His death until He comes again. That's good news, church. So if you haven't done so already, there is a little film on the very top of these guys. And you pull that little one back, and you should be able to pull out the bread. And I'm going to read for us this text from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As Paul, to the church in Corinth, recollects the scene that took place with Jesus and the disciples as he passes on this tradition that he had heard and we practice today. And believers, brothers and sisters in Christ from all over the world do so as well. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you take your cup, sin is costly, right? Sin is costly. I mean, right now, turn on the news and look at the impacts of sin upon others. Scripture teaches us that our sin chiefly is against God. It's against God. We were created the image of God to reflect Him, to worship Him, and to know Him. For his glory, and yet we rebel against God. None of us can make ourselves pure or holy or merit a relationship with God. But God, in his great love for us, who so loved us, would send his Son. And it was with the shedding of blood that there is forgiveness of sins, not anyone's blood, the pure and holy sacrifice. The one who fulfilled all the scriptures who came to do the work of his Father. It is by his blood spilled that we have eternal life, we who partake of Christ. It's his death we proclaim and resurrection until he comes again. And so church family, as you take the cup, I read what Paul says in verse 25. In the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray before we stand and respond in song. Oh Lord, you are good, and you are faithful at all times and in all your ways. Your voice is steadying when our knees are weak. Your blood, Jesus, is sufficient to take away our sin. The gift of fellowship that you give us by rescuing us and saving us and adopting us and bringing us into a flock made up of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and color language. God, the gifts that you give us. Father, would you give us wisdom this week to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice to be faithful as we sit under your word and we draw close to you. We rest in your hand. We love you and we thank you for first loving us 
It's in Jesus' name. There's no greater aim. And all God's people said together, amen. Would you stand together as we sing?